Well, for the past several Sundays, we've been looking at Jesus' kingdom parables, the stories he tells about the kingdom he was bringing. And these really are amazing stories, even though they're brief, they are packed full of uh, wonderful things for us to see. But you've probably noticed this, sometimes they're a bit difficult to hear. And some of the parables are strange and and. Today's parable is one of those strange parables. Um, it, it takes work to understand what Jesus is teaching. But, but that's not the only reason the parables are sometimes difficult. They're, they're difficult to hear at times because they, they challenge how we think about life. And today's parable in particular challenges our thinking about issues like wealth and caring for the poor. Last week, Craig took us through a parable about wealth, the the parable of the rich fool in Luke 12. Today, we're looking at the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, another parable about wealth. And there's something that, that becomes just entirely obvious as you listen to Jesus tell these stories, and it's this. Uh, Jesus thinks about wealth differently than we do. He, he, he just, he thinks about it differently than we do. Um, Jesus' perspective on wealth doesn't exactly line up real well with the American dream. He, he doesn't hold out prosperity and success and social mobility as, as ultimate goods, as the things that, that make for a satisfying life. He, he just doesn't. That, that's not the way he sees things. And that's why these parables are so challenging for us. They, they go against the grain of our thinking. They go against the, the ways we've been discipled by the culture in which we live. And so sometimes he, he steps on our toes a bit. Um, uh, but here's why Jesus does this. See, these parables, not, not just this parable, all the parables... They, they rework our moral imagination. They help us envision the good life in fresh ways, in, in different ways. And Jesus' parables invite us into a new way of life, a, a Jesus-shaped way of life, a, a life reoriented toward God's kingdom, God's values, God's priorities. And, and that is where real life is found. That is where true flourishing is found, a a Jesus-shaped kingdom of God way of being in the world. And so that's what the parables, and this one as well, invite us into. And so we're looking at Luke chapter 16 today, verses 19 to 31. I'm going to read it for us. Um, That's page 876 in the Pew Bibles, if you want to follow along there. It's also printed in the bulletin. But this is God's word. Luke 16, beginning in verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. 
And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Let's pray. Our God and Father, would you give us ears to hear today? Would you help us as we look at this parable to be responsive and attentive to your word? Would you reorient our hearts and lives toward your kingdom? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I just read that parable to you, I I know what probably caught your attention. And it's the fact that Jesus is talking about life after death. I mean, you get this story where there are angels carrying someone off to paradise and and people with different destinations in the afterlife and they they can see each other and they're speaking with each other i just want to say here at the beginning keep in mind this is a parable it's a story it's something jesus created to make a point you do not want to build a theology of the afterlife on this parable Uh, Jesus is not providing here a literal description of what life after death is like. There may be parallels to other things Scripture says, but but that's not Jesus' point here. In, In fact, the story is not primarily about what happens after you die. The story is about how we live now. And so the the outline for today, as we walk through this, uh, three points. We're going to look at, number one, the story. Number two, the point of the parable. And then number three, our response. So the story, the point, and the response. So let's start with the story. Uh, We're we're meant to experience this parable. It, It begins with a very stark contrast between two men. And right at the start, we're introduced to these two individuals. The, the first man, he's a, a rich man. And, and Jesus actually provides a, a level of detail here that he doesn't normally give in his stories. This man is dressed in high-end clothing. We're told he's wearing clothing made of, of purple and fine linen. And purple, you know, a royal color. And obviously this man thought he was somebody important to be wearing such clothing. Uh, Purple clothing was expensive. 
the, the dye, purple dye, had to be extracted from sea snails. And the whole process was very costly. Only the extremely wealthy could afford clothing like this. And not only that, Jesus says he was wearing fine linen. That's material imported from Egypt. And, and the word translated there, fine linen, it, it actually refers to undergarments. So even this man's underwear was expensive. I mean, he is just dressed to impress. And we're told that he, he feasted sumptuously, not just once in a while, but every day. And, and you know, in, in that world, the, the diet of the average person was really just soup, bread, maybe some fruit. They hardly ever ate meat. It was too expensive. And this man, however, every day, every day, he sits down to a, a lavish feast, to a table piled high with, with all kinds of tasty food. I mean, he's just a connoisseur of fine food. And so we could say this, this first man that Jesus introduces us to, he's, he's living his best life now. You, you can imagine his friends, the community, just envious of this man and, and the, the lifestyle he has. And then Jesus introduces us to a second man, a poor beggar. And, and he tells us that each morning someone drops this man on the rich man's doorstep, so to speak. He, he, he's laying on the ground outside the gate of the rich man's estate. Again, that's another clue that this man is, is very wealthy. He has some kind of estate with a gate around it. And there is this man, this beggar, lying on the ground. And, and notice this fascinating detail right there. This man has a name. He's named Lazarus, not the Lazarus from John chapter 11. That's a, a different character. But Jesus told many parables, and this is the only one where a character has a name. You know, of all the different stories Jesus tells, this is the only character who's named. I mean, even the rich man here, we don't know his name in, in church history. There's some traditions about what his name is, but he's simply the rich man. And yet Jesus dignifies this poor beggar by giving him a name, Lazarus. And his name uh, means one whom God helps. And yet his life didn't seem to reflect the, the meaning of his name, did it? I mean, he, he's, in, he's in bad condition here. Jesus tells us he's covered in sores, either from some kind of disease or maybe malnutrition. And we read that he's starving to death. I mean, this, this man, Lazarus, longs to eat the scraps of bread that are thrown into the garbage. You know, the, the pieces of bread that fall from the rich man's table and then are discarded. And he's desperate. He's starving. And on top of all that, Jesus says, the dogs come and lick his oozing wounds. Uh, you know, don't picture friendly household pets here. Uh, these are scavengers roaming the neighborhoods. It's like saying... Uh, Rats were licking the man's sores. And so the, the earthly lives of these two men couldn't be more different. I mean, on, on the one hand, you have luxury and self-indulgence and conspicuous consumption. And then on the other, it's just uh, destitution, uh, misery, 
helplessness. Quite the contrast. And then beginning in verse 22, everything changes. Everything changes in this next snapshot. We read in in verse 22 in the beginning of 23, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And, And notice, no mention of a funeral for Lazarus. His body was probably dumped in an unmarked pauper's grave. The rich man, on the other hand, would have received a, a, a funeral. A, um, he would have been honored by family and friends and then would receive a, a burial reflecting his social class. But after death, there's a dramatic reversal. The tables are turned. And, and Jesus tells us there that Lazarus, this, this poor, destitute man, is carried by the angels, carried by God's angels to Abraham's side. You know, some older translations have Abraham's bosom. It's a, it's a picture of honor, of blessing, of eternal bliss, that Lazarus, who had nothing in life, is being welcomed into paradise. And there he is, feasting with Abraham. He's at Abraham's side. Uh, This Abraham, who's the friend of God, the the father of the whole Israelite family, Lazarus is right next to him, the place of honor. What about the rich man? Well, he's not at Abraham's side. Jesus tells us there in verse 23 that he is in Hades. Not, not hell per se, but Hades uh, being understood as the, the place of the dead, uh, especially the place where the wicked dead would await God's final judgment. And this man, um, his feasting has come to an end. His, his life of luxury, ostentatious luxury, has come to an end. And, and Jesus tells us he's in torment in Hades. A a great reversal has taken place after death. And and this is what Mary sang about back in chapter 1 in her Magnificat. She says, God has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Jesus is bringing in the kingdom and it it turns the world's values upside down. And and the parable he tells here exemplifies that. But the story doesn't end here. The story doesn't end with this dramatic reversal. It goes on the, the final part of the story, verses 24 to 31, there's this extended dialogue between the rich man and, and Abraham. And they, they go back and forth three times. And and notice there in verse 24, the man pleads first for mercy. He says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. You know, there's so much irony here. How many times had Lazarus pleaded with this man for mercy? Have mercy on me is the traditional cry of the beggar. How many times had Lazarus sought relief from this man only to be ignored? And now this man wants Lazarus to bring him relief. And Abraham replies, 
Verse 25, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner, bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. In other words, it's too late, is what Abraham is saying. It's too late for comfort or help. And then he goes on in verse 26. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. You know, while these two men were living, that barrier that separated them, it could have been crossed. The rich man could have simply opened the gate and alleviated Lazarus's suffering. But now, Abraham says, there's a great gulf between you <laughs> and it, it can't be crossed. It's unbridgeable. And, and Abraham's saying, look, no second chances. It's, it's too late. And so the man goes on next to, to plead for his brothers, verses 27 and 28. I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house. I have five brothers. And, and he, he wants Abraham to send Lazarus so that he may warn the brothers, the man says, lest they also come, <clears throat> come into this place of torment. Again, you know, it, there's no, still no hint of remorse on this man's part. No um, apology to Lazarus for how awfully he treated him in life. Instead, he just wants Lazarus to be his errand boy. If, if he can't be a table waiter and bring him some water, then send him on an errand to warn my brothers, my family. And again, Abraham replies, verse 29, they have Moses, meaning the law of Moses, and the prophets, let them hear them. In other words, the, the brothers and, and this man for that, the rich man too, they already have all the warning they need. They have God's word. They have the law and the prophets. No further revelation is, is necessary. Scripture is clear about the danger of self-indulgence. Scripture is clear about the duty to care for the poor. That's why I had uh, Hank read from Deuteronomy 15 earlier in the Scripture reading. Uh, uh, Moses lays out for the, the Israelite nation there, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor. And so Abraham says, look, they don't need further information. They have everything they need. Let them hear Scripture. In other words, let them really hear Scripture, not merely with their ears, but with their hearts. And, and the man apparently knows that his brothers don't do much Bible reading. <laughs> he, he says in verse 30, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. So he, he's arguing with Abraham, probably not a good thing to do. At this point, and he's saying, look, Scripture's not enough. The law, the prophets, not enough. Uh, my brothers need a miracle. If Lazarus somehow was to go back from the dead and, and they could see him and hear him, then they would repent. That'll convince him. And Abraham just says, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. No miracle is going to compel faith. No miracle is going to uh, bring about repentance, not even a resurrection from the dead. And, and we see examples of that in the Bible. I mean, you think of another man named Lazarus, John chapter 11. Jesus raises him from the dead. Did everyone believe? Some. Some did, but not all. In fact, uh, 
we read in John's gospel that as a result of that miracle that Jesus performed, the chief priests doubled down on their plot to kill Jesus. No miracle will change hearts that are hard and, and unresponsive to God's word. That's, that's Abraham's point here in this final uh, response. And then the parable ends. <laughs> well, what happens? Uh, what's going on here? Um, so that's the story. Now let's think for a few moments about the point of the story. What, what is this about? Um, does this parable make you uncomfortable? It, it does me. Uh, it raises so many questions and, and really doesn't answer most of them. But what is Jesus teaching here? What is Jesus saying to us here in this parable? Well, a, a simplistic conclusion would be all rich people go to hell and all poor people go to heaven. And, and that's the way some have taken this parable, that, that great reversal. Well, Lazarus suffered in life, and so now he's comforted in the afterlife. The rich man, on the other hand, lived it up, and so now he's got he's to pay. Um, is, is that the message? Is that what Jesus is communicating to us? Uh, big surprise here. No. It's not the message, and, and we don't even have to go outside of the parable to know that. Uh, who is, we've got Lazarus, the rich man, and Abraham in this parable. Abraham was a wealthy man. Abraham was quite wealthy, actually. One of the wealthiest figures in Scripture, and there he is welcoming Lazarus to paradise. And so there are many other godly individuals in Scripture who were people of, of wealth. Poverty does not save Wealth does not automatically condemn someone. We're, we're saved by the work of Jesus Christ, not by our economic status. However, Jesus is saying this. What we do with our wealth, what we do with our possessions, and how we treat the poor says something about us. It reveals our true allegiance, whether we are uh, whether Jesus is our master or money is our master. Our attitude toward money and our attitude toward the poor is a barometer of our response to Jesus and his gospel. And just think about the context with me for a moment of this parable. It doesn't just come out of the blue. At the beginning of the chapter, Jesus tells a parable about wise use of money. And it begins the same way. There was a certain rich man. He, he tells this parable about investing in the kingdom and afterwards says to his disciples in verse 13, no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That, that's how the chapter begins. And then immediately after that, we read in verse 14, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and ridiculed him. They scoffed at Jesus and his kingdom gospel. And, and Luke tells us why. They were money lovers. They, they, they portrayed themselves as, as pious religious uh, individuals, but money was their God. And then Jesus tells this parable in response. And then in contrast, just a few chapters later, we meet 
Another wealthy individual, a man named Zacchaeus, you you know the story, he encounters Jesus and then just spontaneously commits to giving away half his wealth to the poor. And do you remember what Jesus says about him? Jesus says after this, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. You see, uh, Zacchaeus, his, his generosity, particularly here to the poor, was a sign of, of true repentance and faith. It, it revealed his true allegiance. That Zacchaeus' God, his master, was not money any longer. It is now Christ. And so the, the point of the parable, the, the message that Jesus is, is driving home to us is that our attitude toward money, and not just money, but our attitude toward the poor is a sign of our response to Jesus himself. And so we, we've had the, the story, the, the point of the story. Now let's think for a, a moment about our response. How should you, how should I respond to this parable? Now, obviously here, Jesus is warning us not to be like the rich man. You know, the, there's a warning here about the foolishness of self-indulgence, the the foolishness of greed. Craig talked about this some last week. Uh, It promises life. This this lifestyle of consumption promises happiness and satisfaction and, and meaning, but it leads to destruction. But positively, what is Jesus calling us to? What is What's the kingdom of God way of life he's inviting us into? Uh, Two things. There's probably ten, but I'm just going to give you two. (laughs) Two things. Number one, Jesus is calling us here in this parable to be responsive to God's word. He's calling us to be responsive to God's word. We have Abraham there saying, let them hear the law and the prophets. In other words, hearing in a way that, that transforms us. Hearing with faith that leads to obedience and, and specifically being attentive to what Scripture has to say about caring for the poor. You know, all throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, God's heart for the poor is on display. You, you can't read very far before encountering uh, this theme. It, it's everywhere. You have caring for the poor embedded in the laws of the Mosaic Covenant. You have the prophets constantly calling God's people to repentance for mistreating the poor. You have Jesus himself grew up poor. Jesus ministered to the poor. In Matthew 25, Jesus says one of the clearest evidences of a true disciple is feeding the hungry and clothing the naked, caring for the poor. And then you have the apostles likewise linking true faith and and Christian love with care for widows and orphans and the poor. In other words, the the marginalized. What has struck me this past week studying is that our responsibility toward the poor is is so much more prominent in Scripture than we often realize, Uh, or at least most of the time we, we don't see it. You know, we are a relatively comfortable people. I, I know there are exceptions here, but, but overall, most of us are, are somewhat comfortable. We're not wondering where 
Our next meal is coming from. And, and concern for the poor is just not on our radar the, the way it ought to be. It's not woven into the fabric of our Christian lives the way that, that Scripture uh, seems to, to urge us. And, and as a teacher of God's Word, I bear some responsibility for that, for not seeing it myself and, and making it a part of um, what we think about together as a church. And it just all of us probably need to become better attuned to, the, to Scripture and to what Jesus is calling us to and how we ought to live as His kingdom people. And so first, Jesus is calling us to be responsive to God's Word, to really hear the message of Scripture and God's heart for, for the poor. And then number two, He's calling us to be responsive to the needs around us. You know, the, the rich man's sin was not that he was wealthy. It, it, the rich man's fault was not that he had lots of food and, and nice clothes. His fault was that he was unresponsive to the needs around him. He, he ignored what passages like Deuteronomy 15 say to him as a, as a child of Abraham and his duty toward his brothers and sisters. He didn't really see Lazarus. I mean, he probably passed by Lazarus on his way in and out of the gate, right? And, and just what he saw was just some dirty, filthy beggar upon whom God was probably visiting um, some curse for something he had done. He didn't really see Lazarus until it was too late. <laughs> the only time we read that he saw Lazarus was when he looked up and saw Lazarus at Abraham's side. Uh, Jesus is calling us to see the needs around us, to, to really see. I, you know, I'll confess, I typically go about my day with a, a list of tasks, and I've got them all there in my notebook, and it's just, you know, move from one to the next and get them all done, and, and I'm too busy, too busy to see need. And, and seeing and responding to need, it, it takes time, doesn't it? It, it it's costly in many ways, and, and maybe we need to slow down. Maybe we need to be a little more attentive, a little more attuned to the people around us, to the people the Lord has, has put into our lives. And, and let me say, you and I, we're not going to solve the problem of global poverty. hate to break the news to you. <laughs> By ourselves, we can't do it. The, the need is too big. Our resources are too limited. But is there a Lazarus on your doorstep? Is there someone in your life, a needy person? And I don't just mean somebody who has nowhere to live, but somebody you've been ignoring. Someone with needs that you can meet. And Jesus is calling us to see those needs, to respond to the needs around us. And, and yes, of course, all the caveats. No, you can't respond to every need. You can't meet every need. Um, wisdom is required. Uh, when do you help? When do you not help? Because it would just make the situation worse. Um, I can't work all that out for you in a sermon. I'm simply encouraging you to begin. Maybe this is where we all need to begin, just by seeing slowing down and, and, and 
seeing the needs, becoming aware of what's around us. And so Jesus is calling us here to be responsive, to be, retu- to be attuned, to, to be um, eager to receive uh, his instructions and his word and to be attuned to the needs around us. And, and I'll say this because it's, it's so critical, it's so crucial, and we say it all the time, and, and I don't want it to just go in one ear and out the other, but the gospel is central in all this. The gospel is central in all this. The gospel is what moves us toward the poor. Uh, it's exactly what Jesus did for us. Uh, the, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. <laughs> Paul's saying here, Jesus is the rich man, but, but not this self-indulgent rich man in the parable. He's the rich man who sacrificed all. He's the rich man who became poor, who became naked and forsaken at the cross so that we could receive the riches of his grace, so that we could become rich in grace. And and Tim Keller says, grace makes us generous. Grace makes us generous. We become generous, not just by trying to fulfill a, a list of rules, but through fresh encounters with the gospel of the generous God. This God who just gives and gives and and gives. This God who came to us in our poverty in the person of Jesus Christ and who lifted us up out of the gutter of sin and death and and clothed us in the clean white robes of, of righteousness. This God who welcomed us into his family. You see, as as recipients of grace which is who we fundamentally are. That's how Scripture defines us as God's people, recipients of God's grace. We become generous. We, we move toward need. We, we share our resources because we realize it, it, all of it, all of it is gift. That, that's the dynamic of the gospel at work in us. This is the, the kingdom of God way of life that Jesus is inviting us into in this parable. Let me pray for us. Our God and Father, we we do ask that you would make us attentive and responsive to your word. Would you renew our minds? Would you transform our desires according to the values of your kingdom? Would you help us, God, to be eager to meet needs, aware of needs, uh, both here in Grace Bible Church and even beyond the, the walls of the worshiping community? Oh, Lord, would, we be, would you help us to embody this kingdom compassion that Jesus calls us to? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.